This morning we're going to get through a few more verses in Matthew chapter 9, so if you please grab your Bible and turn there. We're going to talk a lot today about new life in Christ as we consider new wine, old wineskins. There's a lot that could be said, a lot that I wanted to say, and we're not going to go in that direction this morning. I just want to let the Holy Spirit really address and speak to our hearts, examine our hearts. And I think it's good for us as believers to really humble ourselves that's something we learn to do. Sometimes we meet people, you're just a humble dude. How'd you get that way? It's not natural. Do you guys know that? It's natural for us to be prideful. You know, when we look in our society, we see it everywhere because it's all about me. Look how great I am, you know. Uh, we even tell our kids all the time how great they are. And to be honest, most of our kids are just normal kids. <laughs> There's not much, you know, we love them. You know, they are loved much by our creator, but the reality is, it's easy for us to want to be prideful in what we have or what we do or who's in our family or who we're associated with. But God gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you guys. I need grace. I need lots of grace. We need to be strong in the grace of God. So let's pray before we uh, jump into this passage this morning and uh, humble ourselves. That's something that we can do. The scriptures even say, humble your heart. That's something we can choose to do. So I hope you choose to do that because that's what I want to do today with you guys. So Father, uh, you know what's been going on. Lord, there's nothing that's hidden from you. And we are thankful, Lord. Even though that uh, our hearts get bent, Father, evil at times even, sinful, uh, you still love us, Lord. And you still want to work. God, we know your grace is able to do amazing things in our lives. Father, that your Holy Spirit will sanctify our lives. And, and uh, you've promised to give us a new heart, one that is able to uh, receive, Lord, from you, that's no longer hard like a rock. So we humble ourselves this morning and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Father, it may be a little thing that we need to hear from you today. It might be, need to be a big thing. We just want to hear what you have to say and be open to what you want to do in our lives. Not just to know more about your word and about you, but to have the wisdom to know what to do with that knowledge, to, to live and walk in ways that would honor and bless your name. God would bear fruit for you. And uh, we need your help to do that. We're just normal people that love you. God, help us to do that well. Help us to love and encourage one another today. I thank you for the privilege, Lord, to be able to teach these brothers and sisters of mine this morning from your word. But they don't really want to hear from me. I don't really want to hear from me. We want to hear from you this morning. You're a good king. And you got good things for us. We thank you for your word, which is true which is able to set us free like that prisoner that James was talking about. We pray for that brother. Lord, just shine through him in that institution, God. Let him walk out in that freedom. And we thank you, Jesus, as you hung upon the cross, you declared it is finished. 
It is done. We truly do have freedom because you did it all, Lord. We are free finally to be what you've created us to be, to love you, to have relationship with you the way you intended. Let nothing come in the way of that, Father. Let us grow in that grace and understanding. We pray this in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So first this morning, guys, I want us to see how Jesus is about to contextualize, okay, that's a big word, his message here. Contextualize, con plus texture, it actually means to weave or to actually be joined by weaving. Now I want you guys to listen carefully. The gospel never changes, okay? The gospel will never change. The gospel is the gospel, and it must be contextualized or fitted to a culture to be brought to, okay? This morning, if I was bringing the gospel the way that these Jewish men were 2,000 years ago, would any of you guys receive it? Probably not, because I'd be speaking to you in Hebrew. So, <laughs> aren't you guys glad someone took the time to translate the scriptures into English? It, I mean, it's that simple. Cultures change throughout time. The gospel never does, but cultures do. Sonny and I had a long conversation this week, and it seems to be like this ongoing conversation that we've had for years now. Honestly, how many of you guys get stressed out by social media? You can feel it after you jump off Facebook or whatever. You're just like... Why do I even bother? You know, it stresses us out. We talk about going back to those old flip phones, you know, just to say, yeah, right? Look at him. He's got a big smile. Life is easy. <laughs> Keep it simple. And we'd love to do that. And the reality, guys, is God has used technology in our culture today to win how many hundreds of thousands to Jesus Christ? Think about that. I was reading today that a man, okay, had a heart for missions. He had lived a long life, came to Jesus Christ, and God put on his heart to do something. Well, he was a simpler man, couldn't learn another language, didn't have a whole lot of money. So God put on his heart, hey, there's a need for people to hear the word of God overseas. So he went and he figured out, hey, where can I get copies of the scriptures being read in these different languages? Because a lot of these third world countries, they can't even read. So great, send a bunch of Bibles. What are they going to do with them? So what he did is he got these radios that were run on solar power. Okay, There were some ministries that were doing that, but they were pretty expensive. Well, God put on his heart, you need to do this. So what he did, he actually went to the solar power companies and asked, hey, how can we make these cheap? How can we do this? And to this day, he sent over 20,000 just partnering, working, doing this stuff. He's never been out on the mission field, but he's sending over 20,000 Bibles being read in different dialects all over the world just because he's in that place of, hey, 
I want to be used, God. You've touched my heart. <laughs> the gospel has changed my life. And there are so many that haven't even heard your name, Jesus. They need to hear of you. They can't read. What can we do? You know, and he just ran with this thing, and God has just blessed it. But the point I want to get back to, guys, is when we contextualize the gospel, or it's fitted into a culture to be brought to, the gospel never changed. The word never changes how we do that. And if we can use technology to win people to Jesus Christ, amen. You know, I'm sick of Facebook, but God has allowed Facebook in my life to be a witness to many people, even lead some people to Jesus Christ through that avenue. It's just a tool. Um, but the gospel, when we think... Okay, here's, here's the truth. This is Jesus' message to the world. It's never going to change. I mean, that was all set up even before the foundations of the world. This is how it's going to shake out. He already tells us how it's all going to end. Okay, it all comes back to the cross. But the situation and who we are sharing with, that's always changing, isn't it? Think about it. Have you gone through different seasons of witnessing to different people groups? Different people, different ministries? Things are always changing that way. So, um, you guys see on your paper there a nice pyramid, a little Buddha on there. You guys familiar with Buddha? Okay. Um, for you guys who are new with us, we want to know truth. Okay? Very important. And I love apologetics. Okay? How do we give a defense for our faith? How many of you guys know a Buddhist personally? A few of you? Okay, well, for the rest of you, if you're going to meet one, hopefully what we're about to go through will help you a little bit in understanding where they're coming from and how to minister to them. Because for me personally, the hardest people I've ever shared with have been Buddhists. The hardest. I'm going to explain why in a second. But one of the first guys I got to lead to the Lord up in the jail, Tom won't tell you his last name, he was a Buddhist. We met together probably five or six times before he humbled himself and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. But encountering him, the conversations we were having, was unlike anything else I ever experienced before. His reasoning, his thought process, I'm like, whoa, I know the gospel's true. I know Jesus is the answer. He's the only way. And this dude, even though he's in jail, he seems to be a pretty, like, zen loving... He wasn't fat like Buddha, but... Uh, <laughs> dude, um... But anyways, uh, I, how, the, let me explain to you the, 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 the Buddhist uh, pyramid in Buddhism. You have nirvana at the top, right? Being enlightened. Then in the middle, they believe there's heaven. And below heaven, suffering. Okay, that's where everybody's at until they begin to be enlightened. And then they'll be able to reach these different parts of the pyramid. So in Buddhism, there's no God. That's why it's kind of hard to witness to a Buddhist. They don't even believe that there is a God. It's all about you, and it's all about you being enlightened. So uh, Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, uh, Buddha means awakened, okay, or enlightened, the one who's attained nirvana. How many of you guys have heard of nirvana before? I'm not talking about the band. I mean, okay, their understanding of nirvana. Um, the, the, the Theravada, the Mahana, um, it's that reality where they believe that they're moving towards nirvana. They're being enlightened. They're beginning to understand, becoming 
their own God in their own way, um, and to be free. That's one of the things they're big on, free from emotions. Do you guys know that God has created us with emotions? He wants to engage our emotions. I love the Word of God, you know? The joy, the rejoicing that goes on, the crying out, the brokenness that we can have and go to God with. Well, they say we can't have any of that. We're trying to set ourselves free from that and have less desires. Actually, come to the point, if we're really enlightened, we will have no desires is what a Buddhist wants to come to ultimately. Um, no pleasure and no suffering. Okay, How am I going to do that? I don't know. Kind of hard in this life, isn't it? Maybe I need multiple lives to pull it off. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but imagine for a second evangelizing then to a Buddhist with just the little bit of background I gave to you guys. Okay, Try to put yourself in there. Jesus died for you. Okay, And because of sin, there's so much suffering. Oh, pff, I don't need that. I'm free from suffering. I'm a Buddhist. Uh-oh. <laughs> What do we do now? Okay, they have four noble truths: avoiding to overcome, and they really start with suffering. That's where a Buddhist begins. That's what they're trying to get over. Well, would you like to go to heaven? You might say to your Buddhist friend, "What? Only halfway? No, I want Nirvana. Right? I don't really care about heaven." Well, would you like to have eternal end? No. Their mindset is, "I want it to end." Once you arrive, that's it. You're done, okay? Jesus loves you. <laughs> love is an emotion. Can't have any of that Jesus love stuff. Do you guys see how difficult it might be witnessing to a Buddhist? So, where do we start? How do we share with a Buddhist? I would say maybe with compassion. Start with compassion. Their understanding of compassion includes qualities of sharing, readiness to comfort, sympathy, concern, caring, genuinely loving, having compassion upon them. So, um, syncretism, togetherness. Let's consider that together for a second. Um, if you find yourself in that category, and there are two extremes, we have um, uh, this mindset, you're too sensitive to culture, okay? Um, culture comes above truth or the gospel, okay? And are we seeing that today? Okay, yeah, we live in a postmodern society. <laughs> We're seeing that big time. And this is even thoughts among Christians, okay? Well, let's let culture define what God has to say. And we'll make culture you know, dictate how we're going to live and what we're going to believe rather than taking what God has said and having culture fit into it, okay? So there is this togetherness. Can't we all just get along mentality? Let's try socialism. And then there's just, anyway, we won't talk about that. But anyway, it's, it's this mindset of anything goes philosophy, okay? That's, that's a big part. A good example would be the Sadducees. Okay. Do you guys know the Sadducees didn't believe in eternal life, the resurrection? That's why they're sad, you see, okay? That kind of thing. And there is that, okay? Most people believe that there's just nothing 
We don't go, I mean, they're lying to themselves. God has written in our hearts eternity. Um, but we see that in the ultra-liberal church today, big time. And then sectarianism, okay? To be a part, separate from the culture, religion, church, okay? That comes above the gospel, okay? It's all about the cult and what they say. <laughs> they're going to dictate everything. No, that's still back. So you guys see the two extremes that are out there? And with the uh, sectarianism, there's this fear we're going to be contaminated if we actually embrace the culture, if we actually get out there. Um, and also, uh, we see the example, we could use the Pharisees, couldn't we? Okay, we have the Sadducees way over here. We'd have the Pharisees way over here, hyper-conservative church today. Uh, here is Jesus before us this morning, and we're going to see him deal with both of these thoughts. Okay, And it's not a balance. I hope you guys see this. Jesus just lays out truth, and that's what matters for you and I. But he steers this situation well with both sinners and religious people. So let's take a look in Matthew chapter 9. Um, I like to call this Matthew's makeover. Okay, That's a theme in our culture today. Okay, you guys see that? I'm trying to contextualize a little bit. Makeovers, I understand that. Okay, um, yeah, this is kind of, if you ever want to know what it would be like to see Jesus at the, IR, at the IRS, okay, this is what it would look like. So let's take a look. Verse 9, as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Is that cool? Follow me. That simple. Have you guys ever witnessed to somebody and you barely shared anything and they're like, yep, I'm in. I'll follow. I want in. I'll believe. I love that when people's hearts are ripe, that are just ready. So a man named Matthew, he doesn't actually write much about himself as we study the gospel. Luke tells us that he left all to follow Jesus in Luke 5.28. So Matthew wasn't going to be a hero in his own story here. You guys can jot down real quickly Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you and not your own lips. Someone else and not your own lips. Okay, It's better when somebody does that and speaks well. And I, I see our brother Luke saying that of Matthew. Hey, here's a guy who followed Jesus and he gave up everything. He just left it. Uh, a brother in Christ, Chuck Missler, went home to be with Jesus this last year. Um, he's one of the men that has probably had the most impact upon my life. I've listened to much of the Bible, just verse-by-verse verse teaching from him. And he's a guy who, uh, CEO of companies, well off in the business world. Uh, I think he was genius level. If you ever listen to his teaching, it's just like, what would you just say? Rewind, listen to that again, <laughs> you know, kind of stuff. But he just left it to serve Jesus, you know? And I'm so thankful because I've been blessed. This morning, we are also thankful that Matthew, tax collector, probably pretty well off, left all and followed Jesus because we've been enjoying studying this gospel together. What a blessing this brother is to all of us. So it's amazing who Jesus would pick to win Jews to himself. If his name was Levi, right? Okay, Levi, what does that tell us about him? 
oh, you're a Levite, most likely, right? Okay, of this priesthood, you should be serving. Your purpose is to serve the Lord. You're not to have much. You're not to own property. So here, Jesus picks a prodigal priest, let's say, that became Rome's IRS agent to win Jews for Jesus. That's pretty nice, isn't it? I think that's cool. God chooses the foolish things of the world, right? I love it. Anyways, so Matthew works this local tax office in Capernaum, catching all the merchants that were traveling uh, north to south there on the Via Maris, the way of the sea, which we saw in verse 415, or chapter 415. And the local fishermen, they were bringing back their tilapia, catch from the Sea of Galilee there. There's a mile marker that was found. They found this mile marker in Capernaum that probably Matthew stood next to to collect taxes. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, So Matthew had a deeply religious upbringing, though. This dude knew the Old Testament. Have you guys been catching that as we've been studying? This tax collector, sinner, knew the Old Testament. Matthew not only quotes more than any of the other gospel writers, but he quotes them more so than all three of them combined. Think about that. So, There's no less than 99 direct references to the Old Testament. He also quotes from every division of it, from the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Nivium, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings. Okay, That's where we get uh, the Torah, the Nivim, the Ketuvim, the Tanakh. Okay, you ever hear the Tanakh? the whole testament so we have the law the prophets and the writings all together and he knew the word of god the scriptures so matthew maybe that's why he followed maybe he knew it so well and he heard what jesus was doing and he knew what the prophets had spoken what jesus would do when he came and oh wow we've been waiting for the messiah here's all the prophecies and look he's fulfilling them He must be. So, don't know that for sure, but he definitely knew the Old Testament. Matthew was called from a business of taking to a business of giving. And if you look into uh, the Greek of follow me, it's a very sharp, decisive, and authoritative term that Jesus said there. Okay? So yes, this was a command, but... It was also bursting with an overflow here of offering fellowship. Hey, follow me. Okay? <laughs> follow me, Matthew. Have fellowship with me and friendship with me, with Jesus. Think about that. How cool is that? Well, I wish I could be Matthew. You guys know that's the beauty of the gospel? God desires that with all. Okay? If you don't believe that, join the Tuesday night study. First John is going to lay that out beautifully. Okay? We've seen it throughout the gospel so far, that invitation. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Okay? So submission here. Undoubtedly it was a demand, but it was fellowship being offered. So talk about a short, sweet testimony here. The shepherd whistled. I heard the voice. And I followed. Okay? Pretty simple. There are a lot that hear the whistle, the call, but they never respond. You know, forget that. I'm not going. I'm not going to follow you. Um, anyways, let 
my obedience be like the echo of your voice, Lord. Let that be. All right, let's move on. Dining with the depraved, verse 10. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in his house, whose house? Matthew's. Pretty cool, huh? So, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. So tax collectors and sinners hang out together. They came and they were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher, who, do you, who, are, who are they talking to? His disciples. Why is your teacher with these tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So have you been called? And having obeyed, he, with equal promptness, began to gather a group of his own calling to meet Jesus here. You see what Matthew's doing? So who's in your sphere? Who would you call to a dinner party with Jesus? So how evident it was that Matthew had already discovered this straight highway to the heart of Jesus Christ. See, he knew that Jesus' heart was set upon the depraved, the degraded. He knew that. That's why he invited tax collectors and sinners. He got Jesus' heart. So it seems that when our old life was so fresh to us, that's who we reached out to. But now we seem to search out those who fit in with our group, who fit well with our Christian cathedrals. Okay? Oh, you'd make a good Christian. I could see you fitting in at church. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to try to get you to come to church. Or maybe I just think that way. I hate that type of thinking, but there's times I do that. There's times I'll be sitting in a crowd and I'll just be observing and I'll be like, oh, I think they may make a good Christian. Shame on me. Why do we judge that way? God came to save who? Oh, God so loved the world, he desires none to perish. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Even these people in the third world countries who can't even read. What are we going to do about that? All need, I love Matthew's heart. He got it. He got it. Um, there's a young man, I got to be the best man in his wedding years ago. Um, but I got to see him. He was dealing drugs at Little Shoot High School. Okay? He was a junior at the time. He got saved, and within a month, 22 of his friends had come to church and received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Talk about the impact, okay? And God's still doing that. There are Matthews getting called all the time. So, um, yeah, God's so cool. I just, sometimes I wish I could just get up and just share God's stories. <laughs> Matthew here, okay, back to this. Matthew knew that they wouldn't come for a sermon. Hey, come hear this guy teach. Some of you guys may have invited people to church this week. I hope you did, okay? But it's hard. Come to church and hear the word of God. 
I don't know about that. But he puts on a, a dinner, free food. Guess what? People show up for that, <laughs> right? Uh, that's what I love about the food pantry. You know, what a blessing that we're able to help so many people, you know. But really, we want people to come to know Jesus. That's the real need that there is. That's the only thing that really matters. And hey, a lot of people that would come to the pantry probably wouldn't come to church. But they'll come there. And hopefully we can be a light and love on them and share the truth of Christ with them. So pray for that ministry too. Um, but here he puts on a supper. So he, he puts this on, and Luke calls it in chapter 5, verse 29, a great feast. A great feast. Sonny before was sharing about the different accounts. I hope you guys are doing that as we're going through Matthew, that you're reading chronologically and catching what the different takes are on these accounts. Okay, and just reading Luke this week, there were just a couple little things that just popped out like, whoa, Matthew, you know, you're not talking like, yeah, and I put on a great feast for the Lord. <laughs> Do that. But Luke's boasting in him. Yeah, he put on a great feast. And maybe it was a threefold feast. Maybe a jubilee feast to, con to commemorate his transition into new life. Or maybe it was a farewell feast. It was a public confession being made. See you later, world, IRS, I'm done. You know, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. Or maybe it was an evangelical or even, um, evangelistic feast that he made in inviting some of his business associates to come. I'll feed you. I want you to meet this guy. Jesus. So sinners came. How did he advertise that? Sinners came by occupation and by character. Now, by being with sinners, Jesus does not approve or condone or turn a blind eye to their behavior. Okay? I've heard this mistaught before. God does not do that with sin. But it's interesting, the sinners were comfortable with Jesus. This always fascinates me. You see, while the religious crowd were not, Jesus was. So are sinners comfortable with you? I want to be like Jesus. So we need more Matthew parties, I think. You guys ever do a block party? Yeah, what a great opportunity to rub shoulders with neighbors. You know, a few years back, and I'm thinking about doing this again, we did uh, Christmas parties. We had some training. We invite our neighbors, and they come, and we have you know, some food, and we share stories. What does Christmas mean to you, and what are some of the traditions you had in your family? Just a neat opportunity for you know, neighbors to come together around that. And then because you're hosting, you get to go last. And bam! This is what Christmas means to me. <laughs> Lay down the gospel. But what a great opportunity. Sonny and I did that. And because we did, we started up a neighborhood Bible study for a year and a half. Result of that. Now, it's been a few years, and we should probably do it again. But um, I think it's good to have Matthew parties. I think we should start a ministry called Matthew Parties. Have you guys ever heard of Matthew Parties? 
I see it right here in the scriptures. So let's start up a Matthew party ministry. Wouldn't that be cool? Honestly, if you guys would throw a Matthew party, you invite a bunch of unbelievers, I will fast that day and pray for your party. I will personally do that. I think it'd be so cool if we got the whole church praying. Like, hey, I know the Downings. Not saying that you have to do it, but I know the Downings are having some unbelieving friends over, you know, and they're going to be sharing tonight. Wouldn't that be so cool if us as a church family would just come around them and be lifting them up in preparation for that and hearts to be able? I think that'd be awesome. Anyways, just a thought. Um, so when's the last time you had a party with non-believers? Or will you? I think it's probably a bigger question sometimes. Or are sinners not welcome in your holy home anymore? You see... Judging Jesus here. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? Now the Pharisees had a handy stone to throw at Jesus. He eats with sinners. <laughs> Let's get him. How dare he? And I look at it, and I'm like, you bunch of chickens. Why can't you ask Jesus yourself? You got to go ask his boys, you know? What a bunch of women. Anyways, if you guys really knew how I think when I read the scriptures, we'd all be in trouble. Um, so I want you also to note, those who share the table with Jesus are those who are sick and they're in need of healing. So why those who don't, or why those who don't take comfort in their own righteousness, that self-righteousness, look at me and neither see or they will admit their particular kind of sin and the subsequent need of healing. So verse 12, but Jesus heard this. And what does he say? He said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So I think Jesus' answer is superb. It's a word I don't know if I've ever used, but it is superb. Okay, I love this. So where should a doctor be? Among the sick. Why does a doctor want to become a doctor? I want to help people. Awesome. So, when you're found in the midst of sinners, are you seeking to bring healing and wholeness to them spiritually? Or are you allowing to be infected by their disease? I think this really sums up Jesus' whole ministry here is Dr. Jesus. He is the great physician, isn't he, guys? Dr. Jesus. Dr. Jesus or diagnostician. I don't know what you would say that. Yeah, what do you call him? See, there we go. So, knowing they would be the ones that are figuring out the nature of the disease beforehand, before anything happens. What's going on? Let's troubleshoot this. Let's figure it out. Does Jesus know our hearts? The intents of our hearts? What we're thinking? Yeah, he knows beforehand what's going on. He knows what's needed. Also, Dr. Jesus is our family physician, making house calls for even the least of these. Dr. Jesus is our superior surgeon, extracting our cancerous sin. Dr. Jesus being the chief resident of our heart, if we'll receive him in. 
And don't forget, a good doctor sometimes hurts you to heal you. Can I say that again? A good doctor sometimes has to hurt us first in order to heal us, resulting in a broken bone or whatever. You guys know, oh, don't reset it. It's going to hurt. But you want it to be reset. You want it to be made whole. Don't you guys pray for unbelievers sometimes? God, would you just break them? Why do we pray that way? Because we know, and some of us personally have gone through it, it wasn't until we were actually broken, we were humbled enough, broken enough to finally bow the knee to Jesus Christ. In whom the Lord loves, he chastens, Hebrews tells us. So if you don't get spanked by God, you're probably not his child. You know? Don't us, let us cast judgment upon another when we see a brother or sister going through it. It's probably our loving Father allowing things, working in their lives because he wants to bring healing. And isn't it good when God brings healing? And there's things in this life that no earthly physician will be able to cure, to touch, or to fix. He's able to go so much deeper. He's able to really touch the soul of man to make them new, which we're going to read in a little bit. Anyways, we've got to move on. Verse 13, but go and learn what it means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Uh-oh. So you guys who killed a lamb or something, a little sacrifice before church this morning before coming here, knock it off. Um, <laughs> I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So go learn Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Said to men who thought they knew everything, right? Okay, You religious dudes, don't you know the scriptures? I love Jesus laying this down on them. Anyways, go learn to have mercy towards sinners and to the spiritual needy, which is a work more pleasing to God than merely some formality or religious tradition or duties to the most expensive sacrifice with no concern for others. You know, whoop-de-doo, you're doing all that. Do you actually care? Do you actually love others? That's what I've called you to do, right? Love me, love others. But I want to do all this stuff. Look how great I am. Whoop-de-doo. So anyways, it's the heart of the law. That's what he's getting to. It's not the letter. It's the heart. God cares about the heart. Here's about our hearts this morning. My prayer this week is that our hearts would be open, (laughs) that God would work in our hearts, change our hearts, mold our hearts, make us more like him. That's your pastor's prayer for you guys. It's not about, hey, we gotta do this and make that happen. No, it's a heart thing. And out of the heart, man, things are gonna flow for the glory of God if our hearts are right. It's gonna be natural. It's not going to be a doing. It's going to be a getting. Wow, I love you, Jesus. You changed me. You've given me life. The gospel is so rich. I got to share it. Got to do something with this. So Jesus came to save real sinners. He came to deal not with our merits, but our demerits. Now, let's talk about fasting and feasting. Verse 14, the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we... And the religious dudes, the Pharisees, fast. 
And your disciples, they do not fast. And Jesus said it's because we just like to eat a lot. Oh, wait, wrong translation. And Jesus said to them, <laughs> the attendants of the bridegroom, catch what he says. The attendants of the bridegroom, they cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So the snakes, the Pharisees, well, Satan was a snake. I'm not calling them Satan. I just think they're really influenced by Satan. <laughs> Anyways, these Pharisees are slithered up to ask the question to others and not to Jesus. But now, okay, like honest friends, John's disciples, they're feeling hurt, okay? They come right to the headquarters and they ask the Lord himself. I love that. I appreciate that about these men. Face to face, they ask their question. Isaiah 1 verse 18, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come reason with me, he says. He wants us. He's given us a brain to think, to reason, to be logical. We can do that. And I have a hard time with some atheists. They want nothing to do with God. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in truth, but they will not read the scriptures. Please, just pick up his word. You keep asking all these questions. You keep jumping on Google and trying to find these ridiculous answers to debate. God wants you to go to him and to reason. Who cares what I have to say? Who cares about my opinions? You have this beef with God. Why don't you actually hear what he has to say? You see, guys, these guys come straight to the Lord. And by the way, they happen to be right in the middle of a feast themselves, we're told in Mark chapter 2, verse 18. And maybe they were smelling the feast. Oh, you guys like to eat. Why aren't you fasting like us? You know? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, verse 15, why do you fast? I think that's a good question. Well, I fast because my pants are getting tight. <laughs> you know? <laughs> why do you fast? Well, I'm trying to get something from God, and if I fast, then maybe he'll be my little genie in the bottle for me. Why do you fast? Jot down Isaiah 58. I'm not going to mention or speak to it. You guys study it. Reason with God yourselves this week. Isaiah 58. Why do you fast? And we should fast as Christians. When you fast... Jesus said. And here, in the context, okay, um, we see that he's laying this out, that there is going to be a time. So why do you fast? Okay, You really are going to have to answer that for yourselves. Why my disciples don't, he says here, he proceeds to answer. This was a time of joy. It's not a time of mourning. Feast, not a funeral. Okay, But he will be taken away from them. He says this to them, and I want you to catch it because here in the Gospel of Matthew, here's the first that he speaks about his death. The first time it comes up. So far, Jesus, the physician who offers sinners new life and spiritual health, Jesus, the bridegroom who brings new love and new joy. So back at verse 9, it said Jesus passed on from there 
So Jesus was passing by when he called Matthew to come and to travel with him. So don't let Jesus pass you by. Okay, today is the day of salvation. Are you hearing him call to you this morning to follow him? I'm already saved, Pastor. Great. What are you saved onto? Doesn't Philippians says work out your own salvation? It's not about being saved. But what are you saved onto with fear and trembling? Well, I'm kind of hearing him asking me to walk away from my job and to step out in faith and to serve him. Really, Pastor? Is God still calling people to give up everything? Actually cost something? Sacrifice something that's real? I believe so. I really do. So don't let him pass by you. He would say, come to me, all you who are weary, you who carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Is he calling you to come to him today? It could be for a lot of things. All right, let's wrap this up. Rigs and Boda bags. Um, let's look at the rigs in verse 16 here. It says, No one puts a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment, for a patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. So this is an illustration that reminds me um, of really, you know, what brings a whole spiritual wholeness, okay? Uh, he didn't come to patch us up. Did you guys know that? It's not why Jesus came. Okay, he's going to fix up my life. He's going to make my life great now. No, that's what heaven's for. Um, but we get little glimpses of it now, okay? Um, he didn't come to patch us up and then let us fall apart again. That's not what he's talking about. Have you ever wasted time trying to patch something? A tire, you know, uh, inner tube, sprinkler, pool, you know? You do all this work, you patch it up, you do everything just the way it's supposed to be done. And what happens? Oh, it rips right next to it again. <laughs> it's like, oh, the patch is working. Great. Um, so Jesus came not to repair Israel's worn vesture, but to bring new robes completely new and then verse 17 look with me it says nor do you put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved so the word bottle comes from the spanish word boda Okay, that's where we get our English word from. So this leather bottle. The wineskins uh, teaches that he gave spiritual fullness. So if unfermented wine is put into a brittle old wineskin, the gases expand, and what happens? It's going to burst all over, and both the skins and the wine are lost. Nothing's good. So the Jewish religion was a worn-out wineskin that would burst if filled with new wine of the gospel. So the new life of the Spirit could not be forced into the wineskins of Judaism. Okay? I have a hard time with the Hebrew Roots movement. 
okay? We have a lot of believers, okay, uh, wanting to go back, Gentile believers, trying to do the Old Testament law. It doesn't work, but there's a huge movement of that today. They're not living in the reality of new life. So Jesus was revealing that Jewish religion was about to be replaced. Listen to Hebrews 8.13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete in aging will soon disappear. Okay? That's why we're warned over and over again not to go back. (laughs) Don't let anyone bewitch you. (laughs) Don't do it. So the things in the ceremonial law were fulfilled in Jesus. That's the beautiful thing. He came to fulfill the law. We find life in him. It's not going to be in the rules and the regulations that we find in the Old Testament. And they knew that in the Old Testament. It taught them that they couldn't do it. The law is there as a tutor to point us to Christ. That's the purpose of it. Why are we going to go back to the tutor? We already know the teacher. (laughs) So, today, there is no need for sacrifices, so knock it off, guys. Priests, there's no temple needed. There's no ceremonies needed. Okay? We read the end of the book, and some of those things will be back in place, but that's yet future. We're in this church age right now, guys. It's beautiful. Aren't you guys glad that the veil is torn? That we can just come? You know, maybe you're bickering and fighting over stupid stuff with your wife or husband on the way to church today. You know? If we're under the law, it'd be just like, dang, can't go to God today. I really screwed up already. It's only the morning. (laughs) You know? Come as you are, right? Come as you are. So Jesus didn't come to renovate the law or even mix law and grace. And I'm seeing teachers do this. Okay, it perverts the gospel when we do it. Jesus came with new life, period. That is the gospel message, period. Satan wants to kill death. (laughs) Jesus came to give life, period. Life abundantly, And that's what we're to receive, guys. That's how we are to live. I want you guys to be the most free people on planet Earth to be able to love God and do what he's asking you to do. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, one extra one, you can write it down. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is what? A new creation, okay? So just because you grew up in a church you know a whole lot of stuff. You got tradition down. That doesn't make you saved. It doesn't make you born again, new life. I've got to share the gospel with a lot of people who grew up in church and knew the word really good and they ended up getting saved, born again of the Spirit. How does that happen? You leave it all behind. It's not me. It's not my righteousness. It's not my works. It's all Jesus. And when we finally humble ourselves, guys, and receive that truth, that reality, that he is Savior, and we put all our hope, all of our faith in him alone, that's when we're truly saved, guys. So get over the pride. God hates it. He hates it. Humble yourself before the Lord. Two questions I want to close with, and then Joel is going to come up and lead us in a time of communion together. 
And again, we're doing this at the end of service because this is a great time to come to the Lord's table. Okay? And who is around Matthew's table? Jesus and a bunch of sinners. Anyone else in here sinners? Oh, good. We get to come to the Lord's table together. (laughs) But here's the two questions I want to close with, guys. Is Jesus wanting to pour new life into you and your ministry? But wait a minute, pastor. I'm not a pastor. I don't have a ministry. No, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have a ministry. Go make disciples of all nations. That's what believers are called to do. And the second question, will you tear? Will you tear? If new life is poured into you, if the Spirit of God, are you flexible? Are you willing to yield and obey and say, or will that tear you apart? That's between you and God, and I think coming to the Lord's table is a great place to bring these questions before Him, allow Him to examine your heart. And if there is anything there that is off, that you haven't submitted, haven't given to Him, that you feel like you would tear, it's time to humble yourself and just give yourself completely to the Lord. Because being in His hands is the best place to be. Amen? Brother Joel, would you come up please and close up service? joined as in a meeting as uh, elders of the church and, and pastor had said, okay, who wants to do communion? We all just kind of decided, hey, I can do that week. I can do that, you know. And um, I prayed about, Lord, what do you want me to share? And uh, when you hear what I share, you're, you're, you're going to think, man, oh man, that ties in perfectly with pastor's message. And it's just an example of how the Holy Spirit works. It is really, really cool. Um, The book of Hebrews is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. I I read it often because uh, years and years ago, before I was a Christian, I believed that there were a lot of things that I had to do to earn God's favor uh, in in the particular religion that I was in. And after my wife led me to the Lord, I read Romans and Hebrews, and both of those books confirmed to me everything that she was telling me. Now, I could probably go on all day talking about Hebrews. I'm not going to do that. Um, Thank the Lord. (laughs) But I am going to read a a passage, and when I finish with the passage, you're going you're gonna to go, wow, that, that is amazing that the Holy Spirit worked that out. That ties in beautifully with what Pastor had just spoken. And I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 28. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Now, you might not know what those words mean. Uh, Testament is basically a a covenant or a will. And the testator is the person who writes the will. In other words, maybe the wealthy one or the person who is is making people their, their heir. 
For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but he entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, there were 613 commands in the Old Testament that if they applied to the Hebrews, they had to follow. Those commands are no longer in effect because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that's why I believe on the night that Jesus instituted the Last Supper, when he instituted the, the, the uh, communion, the rite of communion, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. He thanked God. He, he, was, he himself was about to go to the cross, and yet he was thankful and he instructed us to do the same, to be thankful for his death on the cross and for the fact that he paid the penalty of our sin. So what I would, what I would appreciate is for a couple of men to get up and, and grab the stuff for communion and pass it out. And after the communion is distributed, please take a moment and prepare yourself to take communion if that requires that you confess your sins silently to God or you just simply give thanks to God for what he's done for you, Jesus. Do so and then after that, you're dismissed. So Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your sacrifice Thank you for paying it all. Thank you for doing it all. You, you've covered every base for us, Lord, and we are so grateful. We are so grateful. I don't know how we could ever, ever thank you enough. And thank you, Lord, that someday we will be in glory forever, giving you praise and giving you glory and just reveling in the fact that you've taken us and you've cleansed us from our sins and you've saved us from ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Let this day go on with, with thankful hearts. 
In Jesus' name, amen.